I'm Robin. And I'm Wayne. We're investors at VMG Partners, and we help build iconic consumer brands. Every day, some of the world's most fascinating founders share their stories with us before they've made it. Their highs and lows. Mistakes and triumphs. But always extraordinary results. And now we're sharing these stories with you. This is Unfinished Biz. We knew we had to evolve our product line because we couldn't have this crazy cyclical product where our sales fell off a cliff every year. On this episode of Unfinished Biz, Nicole Dawes, founder of Late July Snacks and now founder and CEO of Nixie Sparkling Water, does not hold back on the ups and downs of her entrepreneurial journey. Spoiler alert, it was not easy. Nicole is practically born to do this. Both of her parents were in the food industry and she grew up learning the ropes. Even so, Nicole had to leave a lot of comfort zones behind in order to make late July a success. No one's going to believe in your product more than you do. It's not sales. I mean, you're just sitting there having like an honest conversation with a person who is either going to believe in you or they're not. Find out how Nicole overcame obstacles that would have stopped most founders in their tracks when she decided to bet late July on a leap of faith and why she's at it again with Nixie Sparkling Water. Unfinished Biz starts now. Robin, Nicole grew up not only around entrepreneurs, but organic food entrepreneurs. So I guess it's no surprise at all that she started a food company of her own. Not at all, but you are going to be shocked by a few things that she had to go through during her late July era. I mean, this is a very tenacious story if I've ever heard one, but she's in it to win it now with a brand new business called Nixie Sparkling Water. And Nicole joined us at our BMG offices in San Francisco, and we had one of the frankest conversations we've ever had on the show. My entrepreneurial journey began um, with uh, half on the counter of my mother's natural food store and the other half on the floor of my father's potato chip factory. So I think when you combine a parent, you know, that's... That's quite, that's quite the background. Yeah, I mean, I'm very specifically was like raised <laughs> exactly. to be a natural a products pedigree. entrepreneur. I mean, there was almost nothing else I was qualified to do. <laughs> it's almost like the, the athletes of today that were the, the you know, the son or daughter of an NBA star. It's like, it's a, you know, you're built for this. That's right. Well, and I think it's interesting because when you took it, like my mother's whole focus was on the origin of the food and how it was grown and, you know, the sustainability and that whole side. And my dad was almost solely focused on taste. And he, you know, he was guided by my mom's natural food store, but, you know, he would go to three or four different grocery stores to make dinner just to make it taste just right. So I think I grew up, you know, having someone who cared about both sides and that's why I always knew I wanted to, I mean, from my earliest memories, I always knew I wanted to be a food entrepreneur. And, you know, I actually, right after college, I worked at Cape Cod Potato Chips, and I had tried to launch an organic potato chip, but I was very ahead of my time then. So, you know, when we sold Cape Cod yeah. the second time, actually, mm-hmm. was when I launched Late July. And, you know, it was sort of the culmination of this lifelong journey I had been on to launch an organic snack. And, and what year was that when you launched Late well, July? When I officially launched, it yeah. was 2003. Okay. But I started working on it in really 2000, 2001. I was working on the formulations and okay. trying to, I mean, it had so many iterations. I mean, when I first started, it was popsicles or, I mean, there were so many different things. That there was were late be. July popsicles? No, there never were late July popsicles. Oh, wow. But that oh, was my. like, <laughs> you know, I just, I knew it wanted to be an organic yeah. food product. And I wasn't quite sure what I wanted it to be. Um you know, ultimately, I knew it would probably be a snack because that's what mm-hmm. I knew. That's right. And how it kind of gelled was I was pregnant with my first son, who's now um, almost 17. And I was walking around the streets of New York City and I was looking for organic saltines. 
And I walked into, because there's, uh, I don't know, like five or six natural food stores I could walk to, and not a single one of them had anything that resembled what I was looking for. And what I thought was so interesting at the time was that part of the natural food store, it looked almost identical to my mom's you know, 1970s natural food store, right. which was like one of the saddest places <laughs> on earth. <laughs> you know, you, it just, nothing tasted great. Right. Everything uh-huh. looked like the box that came in and tasted like the box that came in. But, all attributes, oh, but, but no taste. Yeah, yeah and, but if you walked around the perimeter of right. the store, that had kind of stepped forward into the future. Yep. So you had all this beautiful organic produce, even some you know organic dairy, but the center was still caught in this, in this 70s trap. So that's when I kind of landed on the idea that you know somebody really needed to pay attention to um, you know the center store and snacks. And I mean, there really there wasn't certified organic anything in that part of the store then. Uh, luckily, when we launched late July, we had the benefit of launching right alongside the uh, USDA organic symbol. Uh-huh. Yep. So all of our products uh, were always certified organic. So what was the one. first? What was the first product? We launched with saltines. Yeah, that makes sense. The, yeah, yeah. Um, like a classic rich cracker, which is just like a, uh-huh. um, and then a bite-sized cheese cracker. Okay. And was there? A, was it already called late July at that point? Yeah, yeah. I it mean, was. We, yeah, we la- yeah we were late July, and we had launched these three crackers, and um, you know, name, how did the name come about? Yeah. Well, late July to is that perfect time of year. I'm from Cape Cod, mm-hmm. and you know, you're knee deep in summer. There's, yeah. you know, you're spending extra time with family and friends. It's really a perfect moment in time. Mm-hmm. And that's what I felt that organic snacks should be. You know, they are that perfect moment in time. That makes now, sense. obviously yeah. I have since come to learn that late July is like the worst time of year for a lot of, <laughs> you know, if you live in the South or California, right. but for me on Cape Cod, it's a perfect time of year. That's funny. That makes sense. <laughs> and so as you launch, as you launch these products, how, how did you do it? Yeah. I mean, did you did you leverage that quote unquote unfair advantage of of having you know well, of, of knowing did, the business already? I definitely did. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it, but on you know, one of the things that we learned very quickly is that crackers are radically different than chips. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of our early forecasting was way off because you know we we're basing it on chip velocities. Yep. Which, I mean, you know, think about it. You buy, yeah, you know, thirty bags of chips. That's right. At the time period, you buy one box of crackers. Right. Um, the other thing that I learned after our first year, which was, you know, kind of this heartbreaking moment, not one of my worst, it was like maybe not even the top hundred, honestly, <laughs> but crackers have this reverse cyclical to chips. So, you know, summertime is the worst time for crackers, which we completely didn't anticipate for a company named late July. Yeah. I mean, July was our worst month. Right. Oh my gosh, that's yeah, so like, we, like, our sales like fell off a cliff yeah, like, in July. We're changing the name. Yeah. I was like, mm, okay. Um, and the winter is, you know, cause it's soup season yeah. and you eat more. Yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, it was really interesting the yeah. first year when we learned it the hard way. Um, and you know, the other thing for me with crackers was it, I, I saw a need in the marketplace. You know, it, it was, you know, here's this $4 billion category that was completely, you know, ignored um, by the natural products industry. Clearly, people wanted to eat these products, yeah. but no one was making it. Mm-hmm. And the ones that they were making didn't taste like what we were used to. They tasted, you know, they weren't, um, they didn't have the right texture. They were very hard. They didn't have the right flavor. And, you know, I, I felt that that has always kind of been my guiding principle behind everything we've done yeah. is that it has to be taste first. Mm-hmm. You know, if we can't make it taste better than a conventional, then we shouldn't be launching it. So in that first year, what was the, what did the team look like? Was it just you? Was it? Um, well, it looked like, 
pretty much you know anyone that we could get to come work for us, which wasn't easy because we <laughs> yep. were on Cape Cod and we had no money. Yeah, um, I dragged my dad out of retirement, uh, which you know turned out to be amazing because you know he unfortunately passed away in two thousand nine, and we got mm-hmm. this wonderful chance to work together. Um, it was my uh, one then at that point one year old son in mm-hmm. the office every day. <laughs> it was our old. We ended up bringing back our old controller from Cape Cod Ships came nice. to work with us, uh-huh. and then about a month in um, when you know, we were having all sorts of problems. My father called my husband and said, you know, what are you doing? And he was a, a, um, writing a script at the time. He was used to be in the film business. Yeah. And he was like, well, I'm a screenwriter. And he's like, well, when does that end? Like, are you going <laughs> to finish that? Or? And he's like, well, it's like kind of like a career. Exactly. You don't really finish. What a, what a great call from your father-in-law. <laughs> that's really, right, totally. That's really funny. And he's like, well, I think you're going to need to come in here for you know a little bit because we're going to need your help. Yeah. And he was like, well, okay, I guess. And that was, you know, and he never left. So, <laughs> so, so you mentioned earlier about you know, velocities weren't what you thought they were. So what did you do about it? Well, panicked, Yeah, you know, a lot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think we just, I mean, basically what we tried to do was we knew we had to evolve our product line because we couldn't have this crazy cyclical product where our sales fell off a cliff every yeah. year. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when we started working at launching products that we thought might have different seasonality. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we liked the sales of our crackers. They were actually doing great. I mean, yeah. we were like right away a national product, like almost our first year. So we knew that we'd hit on something. Yeah. But, you know, it wasn't enough. And... You know, I think one of the part of our early days at late July, one of the struggles that we had was, you know, I, I really felt like we should be a more, a more evolved snack company in general. And I think my dad was a little bit against that because of his experience with Cape Cod chips. Like it was just so hard and the distribution is so hard. Mm -hmm. And what do you mean evolved? Well, like I just, I didn't, I didn't see us as a cracker company. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I knew that, I mean, I wasn't even, you know, I mean, I loved our crackers and yeah. they tasted amazing, but that just wasn't who I envisioned. You didn't want to be defined by that no, one No, I didn't want to be that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as we started doing more R&D and getting into more cracker product products, you know, that really wasn't who I felt we were. But it was the most obvious evolution of who we were. Yeah. And so we struggled internally with that a little bit. And, you know, I saw us branching out more, um... And then we went into cookies, which were, I mean, amazing and, you know, delicious. And Absolutely. I, they actually generated a couple million dollars in yeah. revenue for us almost right away. Mm-hmm. But again, like it just didn't feel right to me. Like it yeah. didn't feel like who we were. And plus, we could never really price them correctly because, I mean, we put, I mean, the cookies should have been like three times as yeah. expensive for how we were making them. Mm-hmm. By the but way, we, question, how did you navigate disagreements with your father? Well, what he what usually would happen is he would call my husband in to uh, be the tiebreaker, which was you know really wow. a wonderful place to put your son in law <laughs> and your right. spouse, you know, to come in and well, what do you think? Right. Um, but you know, d- truthfully, things were so rapid fire back yeah. then in the company, and just our problems. I mean, it was like triage every right. single day that we didn't have a lot of time for real disagreements. Yeah. I mean, it was sort of like survival versus let's have these deep. Um, philosophical conversations about who we are as a brand. I right. mean, we didn't have the luxury of doing that. So we just would discuss it, you know, here and there where we could. Right. We probably should have, um, you know, done it more. And none of our disagreements, you know, it was not going to stop our day-to-day progress. That's right. Um, you know, ultimately, you know, it was, and our success was great. Like we were growing at this exponential rate. Right. Our products were all succeeding. We were getting distribution everywhere. You know, it just, it didn't feel like our company was who I knew it 
should be. That's right. Mm-hmm. What's interesting to me about our cookies, and I think this is a topic for a completely you know different question probably, but it was one of the good lessons we learned early on is you know just how do you discontinue a SKU and when do you discontinue a SKU mm-hmm. and how do you keep your um, you know product line moving forward in the right direction? Because some we, companies believe that's a never. Yeah. <laughs> right. We don't personally agree with that, but well, you know, one of the things that again, you know, this is something that we've come to over years of kind of trial and error the hard way. But it seems like two years is a good yeah. number of product life. Like if it's not, a, you know, succeeding the way you want it to be in two years, something's wrong. Yep. But how do you know? Is, is it? It doesn't meet retailer hurdles. I mean, yeah, velocity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you know because if you if. You are, have the velocity numbers, you can probably solve the other problems, unless your price is so radically off yep, base that right. you can't solve it. Right. But if your velocity is there, presumably something's clicking, mm-hmm. so you can fix it. So one thing we hear from founders is, oh, well, it contributes half a million dollars to us in sales. Um, what advice would you have for entrepreneurs who are thinking, oh, you know, it doesn't meet hurdles, but it's still half a million dollars. Oh, that's so hard. And, you know, that is, that is actually, I mean, our cookies were contributing two million of our, like, yeah. Seven million. I mm-hmm. mean, they were a huge part of our business at right. the time, but we knew it didn't. It wasn't who we wanted to be. You know, we were never going to be the number one cookie because um, we couldn't get our price right. There were so many challenges with that skew yep. that we felt that we'd be a stronger brand without it. Mm-hmm. And so we made the difficult decision to walk away from two million dollars, and you know, it turned out to be one of the best decisions we ever made. So. That kind of brings us up to around 2009, okay. which is the year my father passed away. And unfortunately, um, in addition to being just you know one of the real you know personal difficult times in my life, right. I mean, he died suddenly of a late stage pancreatic cancer. None of us saw coming. Um, it also put the company in a really difficult spot because our bank used his death as a technical default on our loan. Oh gosh. Yeah, and. That happened about three weeks after he died. Yeah, yeah. It was two thousand nine, height of the recession, and we didn't have key man insurance. Yeah, which yeah. I mean, that's just you know a life lesson for sure. Right. But and so you know we were at a point where we had to kind of reevaluate everything that we were doing because we needed to replace a significant loan in a year where I mean we were EBITDA positive. Yeah. But right. you still need you know, cash. We had just discontinued two million dollars right. yeah. worth of cookie sales. That's yeah. right. We um, you know, we're dealing with an unexpected death. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, pretty much everything was, you know, was going wrong. I mean, everything that, you know, we had previously been banking on, you know, we couldn't anymore. At any point during that time, did you ever even consider, hey, this might this might not actually you know, we might not move forward. You know, that's, I think, a really interesting question because, I mean, as I look back now, um, I didn't. I mean, I can't remember what I was thinking at every moment, right. but mm-hmm. I think, like, one of the traits that, you know, is probably why I get up and do this every day is because I am, you know, I have about, you know, 80% of my personality is delusional optimistic <laughs> <laughs> at its best. I mean, that, that's just who I am. I mean, I believe that things are going to work out because, mm-hmm. you know, I think you kind of have to be that yeah, way. For sure. I mean, if the entrepreneur ever gives up on it, then you're done. Right. Um, so I don't really ever look at anything that way. I mean, mm-hmm. I always feel like there's a way out. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I mean, the deck was stacked against us. Yeah. Well, so what did you sure. do? Well, 
I mean, the first thing we did was we, you know, we had a team meeting. We talked to everybody. We were really honest yeah. mm-hmm. about the situation. And, you know, because I, I feel like if you With want... With a bank at the door. <laughs> essentially. <laughs> yes. And, um, you know, but we I felt like we owed it to everybody to be really, really honest with what was yeah. happening. And um, then, I mean, I, I think I proceeded to talk to every bank in the country just yeah. about... I mean, unfortunately, you know, we just weren't in a position to be, uh, you know, that bankable. Because you're I like mean, five, five million of revenue net no, of the cookies? We, 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 well, yeah. I mean, we were probably at that point it was like seven or yeah. eight, you know, because yeah. we grew yeah. a little bit, but, um, we were EBITDA positive mm-hmm. and we had some angel investors at the time, yeah. but you know, I wasn't, I wasn't in a, I was in an even worse position with them because if I had to raise that much money, you know, I would have lost control of the company. Right. right. So I couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just networked as much as I could. And ultimately what ended up happening, which is an, it's a, it's a great story. I was speaking at an event at an expo. I think it was Expo East. It had to be because of the time. And somebody introduced me to RSF. Um, social finance. Social finance. Yeah. And, you know, they ended up giving us a loan. And, you know, one of the things that I loved about them was it was the most thorough, you know, any bank had ever gotten to know us. Yeah. I mean, they came. They spent time in our office. They sent board members. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they really got to know us inside and out. And I think it's very similar to how when you decide to invest in a company, you know, they decided to bet on us. They decided to believe that, you know, in our team and in our ability to solve this problem. Um, And, you know, at the same time, you know, my husband and I and the rest of the team had been sitting down talking about kind of who we are and how are we going to move forward and who is our company today. And that's when we decided that, you know, kind of who we had been up until this point is never who I envisioned that we were going to be as a brand as late July. You know, I wanted us to be a snack company. I didn't Mm -hmm. want us to be a cracker company. Mm -hmm. And the only product that, you know, I had been trying to make since I was a little kid at Cape Cod Chips, I tried to convince my father to launch was tortilla chips. (laughs) I, I love them. I think they're the healthiest part of the snack aisle. Uh Nobody was doing them organically and I couldn't understand why. You know, the whole aisle was filled with non-organic right. products. Even in the strictest of natural food stores, mm-hmm. there wasn't a single certified organic tortilla chip. And so, you know, I knew that this was something that I was incredibly passionate about. I really believed and I really wanted. Um, and so, you know, we decided to bet the future of the company on it. Now, at that point, you know, had you, so the only, you had angel investors and you had RSF. Yes. Have you brought on any other investment or partners at that point yet? No, you know, I this is I think this is a great question because, you know, one of the things that we hadn't. And you know, my father had had some very bad experiences at some of his previous companies with venture groups. And I think that, you know, the way that people have evolved um, you know, from from back then to where it is today is so impressive and such a positive step for our industry. You know, I mean, back, you know, when my father was taking venture money, these weren't people who invested in food businesses. Mm -hmm. They didn't know anything about them. You know, they might have a tech, probably wasn't even tech back then. It was something completely unrelated. And they had this, you know, additional investment in a food business that they didn't understand. They didn't understand the margins. They didn't understand the, you know, how they grow. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that that was my mindset going in. And I was very worried about that because... I knew that we still had a, we still had to work out our company. I yeah. didn't, you know, we didn't know exactly who we were yet. Mm-hmm. I knew we were going to make it. I knew we were going right. to be successful, but you know, we were still in the you know kind of figuring it all out stage. Yeah. And you know, that's a risky time to get involved with you know 
uh, more of an institutional or, or a venture. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't think we were ready. And I also, you know, I've since come to know, I mean, I think what you guys have done is truly remarkable. I mean, you know, you're specialists in what you do. And, you know, you get to know, you have an amazing reputation. You get to know the companies you're working with. You get to know, you know, you, you really understand it. And I don't think that that Thank was you. available um, back when I was starting late July in the same mm-hmm. way it is today. So you launched Tortilla Chips. Yep. And, I mean, what was so risky about this is that, you know, we were going, I mean, even though in my mind it was the same because it was snacks yeah. and the center store, it was completely different. Right. And, you know, it was a totally different form of distribution. And, um, you know, everything about what we were doing, you know, was risky. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it failed, you know, I mean, as I look back now, that would have been, could have been, you know, the it could death be the end. Yeah, it could yeah. have been the end. Because we, we didn't have anything else in our pipeline, and we were betting the entire future of the company on this launch of the tortilla chips. So what's also interesting about it is that, you know, we knew we needed DSD distribution. Mm-hmm. And, you know, most of the retailers were asking us right. for it. But, of course, we didn't have it. And there's no reason why anyone should do it That's for right. us. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. We had no track record. Right, yeah. um, but we agreed, um, you know, we agreed we uh, uh, Snyder's distribution, one of their mm-hmm. warehouses, Patriot Snacks, agreed to meet with us. And they said, well, if you can get an anchor customer, yeah. we'll take you on. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, anchor customer. Got it. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I'm going to go get one of those. Yeah. Get an anchor customer. So I, um, I'd also, one of the things that's really interesting about this kind of pivotal moment in our history was when my father was alive, I had never done sales, yeah. which, as I look back, was one of the biggest mistakes that I made early on with the company. But he was such a good salesman that, uh-huh. right. you know, I didn't – there was no reason for me to do it. And I wished I'd pushed harder on that because I think any entrepreneur who's not doing their own sales is making a huge mistake. Interesting. Um, did, but, he, did he ever urge you to did, – did he, did he ask that you do that or – No, you know, I, he didn't. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I didn't push it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I had young kids and, you know, there was just – I, and it's probably what he'd, he'd been doing. Yeah, too, and, he, right? and he was That's very right. good at yeah. it. So there was no yeah. real reason. Uh-huh. Um, but go back to what you were saying about that every entrepreneur should, should do some sales. Explain that. Well, I think that, and for me, that was a real point of fear because I, I didn't feel like I was good at it. I never was comfortable being in a selling position. When I was in college, I did sales for one of my father's companies. And I would like sit outside the appointment in my car for like half an hour because I was like so afraid to go in. <laughs> I mean, I definitely did not feel like it was a strength I had. Yeah. So I was very nervous uh-huh. about the idea of doing it. But what I've discovered since is that if you're the entrepreneur and no one's going to believe in your product more than you do, yeah. it's not sales. I mean, you're just sitting there having like an honest conversation right. with a person who is either going to believe in you or they're not, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's all you can do. You don't need to be something. You don't need to be a salesperson. You just need to be yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so who's the anchor customer you got? Well, so I got an appointment with Stop and Shop yeah. because they were really the one we needed. And I went down there and I left my house at like three in the morning because it's a long trip to the airport. And I, um, I wasn't feeling that great, but I, you know, I knew I had to go. So I got into the appointment and, um, you know, I went through and. Since this appointment, I don't think I've ever gone page by page through a presentation again. <laughs> but I was so nervous that I literally went through you every single page. Yeah. yeah, like almost word for word. It was probably the worst display of salesmanship <laughs> in the history of sales. But um, at the very end of the meeting, the buyer asked me, "You know, is there anything else that you'd like to know?" It's probably one of those like throwaway questions at yeah. the end of the meeting. Yeah. And I said, "Well, there is one thing I'd really like to know. I'd like to know if you're going to say yes." Uh, <laughs> Ooh, I like that. <laughs> and um, 
I mean, I didn't. I mean, that's asking for the sale. Right. Yeah, well, that's yeah, great. he was very specifically asking for it. And, and he like kind of thought about it for a minute. And he looked right at me and he said, yes, I'm going to say yes. And I couldn't, I mean, I couldn't believe it because they never do that, yeah. which I didn't really know at the time that yeah. they never tell you in the meeting. You think, damn, I'm good. You no, I, I did not think that. I just thought I got to get out of here before I say anything to mess this up. So <laughs> I like thanked him. I packed up my stuff. I get out of there as quickly right. as possible. And, um, you know, I, I called the distributor. I said, I got an anchor customer. And then I drove back to the airport, got home, and I. By the time I was in bed at home, I had like 103 temperature. Oh, <laughs> really? Yeah. But it was one of those moments where, I mean, even as I look back, I don't think I'll ever have. You know, that was just this like incredible, well, relief. Number one, because you know, at least we had a chance. Uh huh. Um, well, walk us through. I mean, Snyder's Lance played a. a seems like they, they played a big role in the story of late July. Was this the beginning? This was the beginning of the the Snyder's Lance relationship. Yes, the we actually well, we actually had a relationship with Lance okay. previously. Um, they were um, they came they were a, a small investor, and they because we used their factory yeah. for mm-hmm. our crackers. So, mm-hmm. what point did Lance become an investor in the business? Was this prior to the chips? It was like yes, prior to the chips. But they weren't they kind of merged with Snyder. That's right, like around the same time. Got it. Um, and but they they really weren't. It was very as I look back on it, they weren't so much of a strategic investor. I mean, this was really a partnership because of the factory that they had. Uh-huh. Our relationship evolved so much over the years. Um, but before that, how did Lance originally get involved? I mean, I think that's a an interesting part of the story. Well, it is interesting for a variety of reasons yeah. because um, one, the reason that they got involved was we were co-packing our crackers at a factory that kicked us out. Yep. Okay. Because a large national brand uh-huh. decided that they didn't want us in that factory anymore. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And they gave us like three months to vacate. Yeah. Which is, I mean, that's cruel. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's really hard. And was that your only co-packer at that time? Yeah. 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 Um, and so we managed to convince them to give us six months and we built our own plant in that time period. Okay. Um, which was yeah, insane. That's probably a story yeah. in itself. Um, but it was uh, this horribly inefficient situation yep. that we knew was not a long-term solution, but mm-hmm. it was basically just to prevent us from going out of yeah. business. Uh-huh. And so we were looking for new solutions. And in the process of doing that, actually, the CFO from UNFI went to Lance. Um, also, there's a, a continuity of relationship correct. there. Yep. And, um, and, and coincidentally, or not so coincidentally, um, Lance had also purchased Cape Cod potato chips. Mm-hmm. Yep. But it was different people, so it's not right. entirely right. Yeah. Um, so the combination of those two things, we had, were talking to them at a show, and they said, "Oh well, you know, we have an empty, basically an empty factory that could produce you, that we just bought. Yeah. That uh-huh. could produce your crackers. Um, you know, is that something you might be interested in?" <laughs> we said, "Well, yes, we're very interested in <laughs> that's that." Right. Um, so that's how our relationship started. Okay. Um, and, you know, it has evolved so much over the years in a variety of different ways. But, but when you did that original Lance deal, any any learnings that, that you could share with entrepreneurs on that piece? You know, I think that, I mean, I think that there there's a lot of power in strategic relationships. I don't think that we entered that in, you know, in the best possible way. I don't think we leveraged it in the best way that we could. You know, I think that as our relationship changed and as we partnered with Snyder's and different things happened, I think we kind of fine-tuned it to a mm-hmm. place where it was great, you know, this 
like a good uh, mutually beneficial situation. I think you know hindsight's always twenty twenty, right. mm-hmm. um, but I think we definitely could have done it a little bit better in the beginning. I'm not sure there's a lot of learnings because everything kind of happened for a reason. Yeah. I mean, we needed a factory, right? Um, you know, and it just kind of evolved the way it did. And I wouldn't change any of it. Yeah. Um, but I do think that when you're entering into a strategic relationship, you have to think much more clearly about what the future of that strategic relationship mm-hmm. means. Um, and I don't think we did that when we started out with them. And fast forward uh, on, on late July, when did you know that, like, that you, you launched the tortilla chips and you're, you've, you guys have made it? Like what, what was that turning point? You know, I've always been a big believer in not believing your own hype mm-hmm. because I feel like the minute you believe that is when like someone else is going to come, you know, eat your lunch. Right. Um, so I don't think I ever really like, you know, sat back and said, oh, we made it. But there was a couple moments where, um, you know, I felt just so incredibly proud of, you know, this crazy you know, roller coaster yeah. that we'd been on and kind of where we landed I mean, the first is, you know, we were getting some numbers back of, you know, early displays and we'd be moving, you know, hundreds and hundreds of units. And I just remember thinking, like, I can't believe we created a product that's doing this. This is, like, amazing. And then I decided that, you know, one of the reasons I loved, you know, being in the business that I was and one of the things that kind of always guided me is, you know, the idea of the sustainable future for food and creating, you know, um, a real story for that. And you know, one of the ways I feel like late July could do that really effectively is by becoming the number one tortilla chip Mm -hmm. and being an organic product. I mean, you're just shattering all these stereotypes about organic products and how they taste and how they sell. And, um, so that was one of the goals I set early on. Once I kind of got the sense that it was maybe possible, (laughs) I thought, okay, well, we're not going to stop till we hit number one. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. where we got to be. And then once we get there, we got to stay there. Um, and I think, you know, the, the day that we got the news that we officially became the number one tortilla was, you know, that was definitely one of the best days of, you know, our entire company. I mean, I felt like kind of the mission that we'd set out to do in terms of, you know, for organic and, and for ourselves and for the taste of our products, um, that was just, a, I mean, that was probably the moment. And walk us through your decision to ultimately sell the Snyder's Lance. Well, you know, it, it was it was one of those things that, you know, I, I never started this company thinking I would sell it. Mm-hmm. In fact, you know, growing up with Cape Cod Potato Chips and having my dad having sold it twice, yeah. those are probably two of the most devastating <laughs> moments of my life. Um, so I think when I started late July, I never thought it was a company I'd sell. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having said that, I do know that, you know, when companies reach a certain critical mass, there's there's something nice about having the infrastructure and not having, you know, having the ability, particularly with snacks, you know, the, the security in a, in a strong distribution network. Yep. And, you know, that to me was the ultimate decision for, you know, kind of finding a safe future for late July and ensuring that, you know, it would always, you know, have a place That's right. and have, you know, the, the, um, the kind of security of knowing that it's going to be there for generations. Right. right. Um, you know, it's, it's definitely bittersweet. And, you know, I think, as I, you know, I, I don't know that it's ever something I'm going to, you know, just look back right. with, you know, this, you know, I don't, it wasn't like a champagne moment for yeah. me. Mm-hmm. It, it's just sort of like knowing that it's the right place for the brand and knowing that it's going to have a, you know, a, a future, you know, for generations. That's kind of what guides me. Plus, I also like the fact that it's 
with Cape Cod potato chips, like they have the same parent. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. there's something nice about that. Yeah. Um, your company and your dad's company. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I feel yeah. like that's kind of a nice thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, but it's, I think it will always be something I feel conflicted about. And did you stay on with, with the company after its acquisition? No, I didn't. I mean, I stayed on. I mean, we were, a, I was for a long, like we worked together for a long time. Yeah, right. But after like the final, I did not. Mm-hmm. And then when, and tell us a little bit more about your new venture. Well, I think part of the reason why, you know, I knew I wouldn't, although... And, and why again? Well, that's, <laughs> it's so interesting. When my dad did it, I used to think, why are you doing this? Like, why don't you, you know, why are you starting another company? And of course, now I know. But, um, you know, I, I mean, I love what I do. I mean, people used to say, like, you know... How do you, you know, do you love, how do you feel about what you do? I mean, I literally wake up every day and I cannot believe that I get to do this for a job. I mean, it's like amazing. It's yeah. so, you know, it's so wonderful to make a product that's that right. people go to the store and they buy and they share it with their friends and family. I mean, like what a gift that that's what and I get to do. It brings smiles to people's it faces. It does. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just fun. And, that's right. and I, you know, I, I wasn't ready to never do that again. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't know what exactly the next step was going to be for me until, you know, kind of it was like one day you know my husband and I were talking and very similarly to how we landed on tortilla chips it was sort of like you know what what are the gaps in our buying patterns like yeah. what do I wish I could buy and I realized that one of the few products that I couldn't buy the way I wanted to was an organic sparkling water mm-hmm. I mean that was really what I wanted um you know in in my diet primarily consists of tortilla chips salsa and sparkling water <laughs> so that only left one out of the three things That's left right. for me to do right nice and tell us a little what, what's the name of the new business the new business is called nixie sparkling water yep. and we're officially launching at expo west nice um and you know hopefully <laughs> which is rapidly approaching but we're you know we're certified organic non-gmo project and um, we're going to have a line of eight different flavors. Awesome. Start. And what's the story behind the name? Well, Nixie is another name for mermaid, and it's also a little bit of a play on my nickname, which is Nikki. Oh, and okay. um, yeah. so, you know, it just had a lot of really positive feelings for me. It, you know, reminded me of the ocean and, um, you know, family. Right after the break, we'll be back with our featured guest, Nicole Dawes. Unfinished Biz is a VMG Partners production. You can find us at unfinishedbiz.com and on our Unfinished Biz LinkedIn page. Subscribe to our show for free on any podcast app of your choice. If you love our show, consider leaving us an iTunes review. Five stars are bust. And now, let's get back to our episode with Late July founder and Nixie Sparkling Water founder and CEO, Nicole Dawes. So has there been a bet the company moment uh, in, I guess, late July's history, I think, is probably the better question. Yeah, I mean, our tortilla chips was definitely the bet the company moment. Uh-huh. I mean, we had just taken on a new bank. Um, you know, we were, um, everything at the company was at stake. And, you know, we bet the entire future on the launch of our tortilla chips. And at that moment, when you were making that bet, did you know that? Oh, hey, yeah, we you knew. Did. We knew because, yeah. I mean, you know, so much had gone wrong the previous yeah. year mm-hmm. that if we didn't come out of it this year, you know, we knew it was going to be very, very difficult to make our next step. Gotcha. So we did know. I mean, a lot of great moments in the late July story. Is there one particular high highlight that really stands out? It's probably a tie. I mean, becoming the number one tortilla chip in the natural set yeah. was definitely a, a high. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, crossing the $100 million mark is always exciting. Right. <laughs> but I think one of the real kind of personal ones was um, Bon Appetit did a taste test yeah. where they tested all tortilla chips. So not just the natural ones. They mm-hmm. tested all of them. Yeah. And we won. 
Oh, nice. And, and like you've always said, I mean, yeah. that's, that's, it's not just about being organic. It's about being the best tasting product out there. And that, that's exactly right. And that was, that was a real high. Awesome. Well, I mean, on the flip side, you know, it's never easy being an entrepreneur. Is there a particular low point for you that stands out? I mean, using my, having a bank use my father's death as a technical default on yeah. a loan was definitely the low point. I mean, it was, I mean, you know, it was a personally challenging time. And then to have that happen was just devastating. I mean, absolutely devastating. And also, I should mention, um, a couple weeks prior, one of my investors, Angels at the time, had called for a shareholders meeting at my dad's wake. So it was not a... Oh, really? wow. <laughs> yes. It was definitely a rough time. I mean, that was not a redeeming era for the finance community. Not so well, much. Well, he was an individual, so you guys okay. are totally... Okay, and he good. was actually an entrepreneur, which is the craziest part. That's correct. I know. You would think... What yeah. a lack of empathy. Exactly. It was. I mean, you know, it, it definitely was... Just, but, it, it, I mean, it was a low in every possible sense. Yeah. Wow. And at this point, what keeps you up at night? Well, I'm starting a new company, so pretty much everything keeps <laughs> yeah, me up exa- at night. <laughs> it's, all ba- it's all coming back to you. You're like, wait a yes. second. <laughs> it is. It's all coming back to me. I mean, getting samples for Expo is probably the thing that keeps me up <laughs> at night the most right now. That's funny. So, Rum, it was really refreshing, the level of self-awareness that Nicole has. Mm-hmm. I mean, for us, it's something that comes up all the time where we're assessing a founder's level of self-awareness. And the ones that have a higher level of that are much easier to help navigate along the way and really help pivot the business in, in, a, in the right direction. And one of, the, one of her key pieces of advice that we also resonate with is carrying the bag, meaning... She really believes in entrepreneurs going to the retail customer themselves and telling their story, and it makes a huge difference. But there's perhaps no lower point we've ever heard than her father's death causing a loan default, which put her company in jeopardy. Total props to Nicole for weathering that storm and coming out stronger. For sure, that's a lot. And if it weren't enough, she's doing it again. I mean, she's launching Nixie, an organic sparkling water business, with a key similar point of differentiation as late July in bringing organic to a large, large category. And like many of our founders who work so hard building out their dreams, at the end of the day... I mean, I have two kids and, you know, one is, you know, in high school, so I know he's going to be gone before I know it. So, I mean, I love spending time with my family and friends. I mean, I just, you know, I mean, family time is very, very important to me. All right, Nicole Dawes, time for our signature game, 60 seconds. Ready to go? Yes. Let's do it. Instagram story or Snapchat story? Instagram story. Spotify or Pandora? Uh, Spotify. Lefty or righty? Righty. Wine or beer? Beer. Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts? Neither. Patriots or literally any other team? Oh, that's such a hard one. I'm, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm a Patriots fan, but but I can't say literally other team. Can I say the Saints? Sure. Sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> tequila or Mezcal? Uh, tequila. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Uber or Lyft? Uber. East Coast or West Coast? Both, but my heart's always on Cape Cod. Okay. Mountain bike or road bike? Neither. Okay. Bacon or sausage? Neither. White bread, wheat bread? Wheat bread. Coke or Pepsi? Neither. Nike or Adidas? Nike. Hmm. Amazon, Alexa, or Google Home? Neither. Hit snooze or one alarm person? Snooze. Hummus or guacamole? (laughs) Guacamole. Checked bag or carry on? Carry on. Sushi or sashimi? Uh, Both. (laughs) <laughs> nice Cho- chocolate or vanilla chocolate friends or the office the office star wars or star trek star wars pen or pencil pencil treadmill or run outside 
neither. <laughs> Hamburger or hot dog? <laughs> neither. Book or Kindle? Book. Going out or staying in on Saturday night? Staying in. <laughs> Winter or summer? Summer. Yeah. <laughs> that one's awesome. awesome. Exactly. Who says winter? <laughs> well, the last question. What what advice do you have for aspiring entrepreneurs? Um, I think the best advice that I can give is don't raise money too early. Mm-hmm. You know, really get to know your brand, know who you are, and you know, when it's time and your velocity's there, then raise the money. We couldn't agree That's more. Great it's, advice. It's, people are wa- raising way too much money too early, and I think Hearing stories about how things used to be done in the natural products industry, I think, is tremendously helpful. So thanks for joining us on the show, Nicole. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. Thanks. Unfinished Biz is a VMG Partners production. You can subscribe to our show for free in any podcast app of your choice. Send us questions, comments, and feedback on Twitter at unfin underscore biz and visit us at unfinishedbiz.com. These are the opinions of Robin and Wayne and our guest entrepreneur and are not necessarily the opinions and thoughts of VMG partners. And now a word from our lawyers. This is not an offer to buy or sell any investments. Entrepreneurs interviewed on this podcast may not be associated with VMG businesses and discussions of their companies should not be viewed as an endorsement by VMG.